0: On Saturday, the 12th of August, white supremacy in modern America made its presence undeniable. An alt-right mob marched on Charlottesville, Virginia, bedecked with Confederate flags, swastikas, and guns. The mob was met with a peaceful counter-protest of anti-fascists. At 1:42 p.m. local time, a speeding car rammed the protesters, killing one and injuring 19 others. Cruelty, intolerance, bigotry racism, anti-semitism, homophobia. These horrific ills have no place in civil society. Not in America, not in Britain, not in New Zealand, not in any country. We here at DSG condemn these white supremacists and we condemn equally those like the president of the United States of America who would seek to draw false equivalency between movements that fight to remove people's civil liberties Based on the colour of their skin, or which religion they follow, or who they love, and movements that resist this white supremacy at every turn. In an interview with Democracy Now!, author Tanahasi Coates called what happened in Charlottesville lamentable but predictable. Predictable because of the racist language of Donald Trump as Republican presidential nominee. Predictable because of the policies his administration has embarked upon. Predictable because of the continuing warped narrative explainer that holds that the economic precarity of white people, like those in the so-called Rust Belt, carried a candidate with strong links to white supremacists, Bannon, Duke, Gorka, to the presidency, rather than confront a nation riven by overt and institutional racism. Here in Britain, we also have our problems with overt and institutional racism events like Charlottesville do not happen in a vacuum. The explicit ethnocentrism of the Brexit vote is obstructed from clear view by a near-identical obsession with the economic precarity of white people. This ethnocentrism continues to flood media narratives across the UK. During the last week, Sierra Champion MP was forced to resign as shadow Equalities Minister after writing an article for The Sun titled British Pakistanis are raping white girls, and we must face up to it. In it, Champion writes, Britain has a problem with British Pakistani men raping and exploiting white girls. There, I said it. Before she asks, does that make me a racist? Two days later, in the same paper, columnist Trevor Kavanagh was keen to impress that Islam represents, and I quote, a specific rather than cultural problem before encouraging people to find a solution to this problem predictable. Lamentable. It is no longer enough to sit this one out. It is more vital than ever to challenge racism and sexism and homophobia and ethnocentric views at every single opportunity. Join your local anti-fascist movement or go to the next Black Lives Matter protest. Get down to pride the next time it is on. The name of the person killed peacefully protesting against the white supremacists last Saturday in Charlottesville was Heather Hare, 32 years old, civil rights activist, a legal assistant from Virginia. Her mother spoke eloquently at Heather's memorial service and had a powerful message that I think it wise we all reflect on.
1: And the conversations have to happen. That's the only way we're going to carry... Heather's spark through. So remember in your heart, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And I want you to pay attention, find what's wrong, don't ignore it, don't look the other way. You make a point to look at it and say to yourself, what can I do to make a difference? And that's how you're gonna make my child's death worthwhile. I'd rather have my child, but by golly, if I gotta give her up, we're gonna make it count.
0: Hi all, and welcome to our first podcast in quite a few months. We're looking forward to getting back to podcasting on a more regular basis. This week's episode was recorded last Thursday and is about the new season of the Premier League. Enjoy! To Distorted Shades of Grey The Premier League started last weekend It didn't feel like it was off air for very long It seems like the summer gets shorter every time And this year it is back with some of the biggest television deals in history And we just wanted to introduce some of our listeners to the numbers behind the Premier League Because it really is quite striking It is the second biggest sport by TV deal behind the NFL with approximately £2.6 billion of funding per year over a three-year period. The chief executive was paid last year £1.9 million. There's been a 1,000% ticket price increase since the Premier League started in 1992. Only 3% of the money the Premier League makes is spent on community programmes and facilities, and even the lowest players from the 2016-2017 season were paid upwards of £2,300 per day. And that goes all the way up to £58,000 a day if you're Paul Pogba. I mean, the numbers are just absolutely staggering. Specific teams turnover. Manchester United, £515 million. Manchester City, £392 million. Arsenal, £351 million. Chelsea, £329 million. Liverpool, £302 million. I should note those figures are from two seasons prior. What's really brought this to our attention, apart from the fact that you know the players are gracing our screens once again, and collectively can follow the glorious liverpool into battle once more, but also that a Telegraph investigation last week found that only two teams, Chelsea and Everton, pay the living wage for staff that work in the stadium on the ground, stewards, cleaners, security. The, the living wage is eight forty-five across the country, with £9.75 being the number in London for the higher living costs as someone who doesn't really follow football in terms of the teams and who's winning and losing and who's scoring the the touchdown try home run baskets (laughs) I don't know I thought we, we should we should talk about this right because it's not really something that follows this league around even although the money is absolutely ridiculous so that's the context where do you stand on this is Is it something that clubs should have a moral obligation to be doing more of, i.e. paying people the living wage? First and foremost, it's good to be back. It's been
2: three months and one day since we last dropped the pod, so it's it's great to, to be looking at Mark, but also doing the recordings as well. In terms of whether they owe anything morally, I think we forget that football clubs are businesses. I think we forget that the football players are essentially their own business entity where they have their own brands, they have their own accountants, they have their own PR teams and to a certain extent if we are going to have this business then they don't necessarily owe us anything. I think what makes it interesting is these football clubs are based on communities, these football clubs are based on areas, these football clubs are based on identities and the vast majority of them tend to be working class. They're individuals for example here in Manchester the manchester united love also comes from a massive love for lancashire and you think about lancashire you think about yorkshire you think of the war the roses it's really deeply embedded into communities here and so to sit there and to think that they don't pay members of the community who work for them enough to actually live in these communities, communities where you know they will go out there and take all the resources from, they will take houses away from, will, Liverpool are building a, trying to build a bigger stadium and they had to knock down houses. So people are being displaced in that regard. So in that regard, when you advertise themselves as, hey, look, we're this massive club from Liverpool, we're all about, you know, you'll never walk alone, we're all about the Scousers, we're all about you know, Shankly Way and Paisley Gates and being out there close to Albert Docks then it becomes a a deeper conversation to have
0: so would you say that there is an exchange happening whereby clubs like liverpool manchester cash in their working class credentials there is a class betrayal happening in in football if they do not start paying people the living wage i think
2: they absolutely are i think if you look at one of the biggest things of that, that sells the Premier League is the passion of the fans, the chance that's going on, the atmosphere in the stadiums and in the grounds. And one of the biggest things that local fans are really dissenting right now is when foreign fans come, take seats and tickets of individuals who you know, are from the local area who can't afford the tickets anymore. And then that diminishes the Premier League product so that when people are watching Premier League games, they don't have as vocal and active crowds, right? And so that diminishes their TV rights. So it's really interesting sitting there and looking at how gate receipts have increased a thousand percent. And for some clubs, a gate receipt is only like seven percent of their income. For bigger clubs, for example, Arsenal, Arsenal make a hundred million pounds a year or made a hundred million pounds last year from their gate receipts from people in the local area coming into watching the games, people coming from around the world to come watch the games. And their TV rights were 140 million. Other teams, their great receipts were seven million. So you can say that they're literally making it easy and accessible for people who live in the local area to come out and watch their game. The fact that it's predominantly working class individuals right the way around, let's let's not beat around the bush and you know, we can point to clubs in Bournemouth for example, or clubs in well established areas like Chelsea. But at the same time, like we know that football is a working class sport in England. We know that rugby is a middle-class sport. We know that cricket is a middle-class sport. We know that swimming and petonk are clearly like middle-class sports and just simply with their access alone. So it is quite strange to sit there and think, look, ticket sales have gone up so much, which have actually literally priced out locals and people who have been seasoned ticket holders from before the Premier League started as a brand to the point where now locals and individuals who live in and around the area and not being paid enough to literally live (laughs) in and around that local area. That's quite frightening to think about.
0: Yeah, I think it's reflective of the wider income inequalities that are being seen across Britain, across Western societies. The inequality gap widens. Every year seems to be the current crisis of capitalism at the moment that so few have so much. And at least for me, players being paid... Upwards of £200,000 a week as part of franchises that turn over hundreds of million pounds a year as part of a league that is one of the most lucrative sporting leagues in the world. I can't help but see that that is part of the wider national problem. And I believe that the players, while they aren't specifically responsible, I don't think that. Just talking about specific responsibilities may be helpful in this context e- anyway but it's hard to separate it when from my understanding it's not the most taxing job in the world uh, uh, y- yes and no I think
2: not to like hark on any former glories that I had but I know that like if you played a game on a Sunday chances are your body was aching on the Monday and you needed to like sit in the ice bath and that's just me playing Sunday League football. That's not me playing elite-level football with world-class athletes who are literally being paid every day to run around and to keep their body in peak physical form. Now, it may not necessarily be the most taxing thing mentally. And I can say that because there are a lot of footballers out there who are morons. But it is, <laughs> it is certainly like very taxing physically and, and to a certain extent emotionally uh, they they might be rich in income, but in terms of time to spend with your family, in terms of taking your kids to school, um, in terms of being there over Christmas with your family, in terms of going out for a walk or going out for a bite at the local pub, in terms of going out and going on Tinder and talking to girls or talking to boys, there's a lot that's going on there. I think what we could also look at is, if we really wanted to dig deep into it, we can also look at how they treat the female um, football teams so every major football club will have a ladies team or a women's division and earlier this year a couple of football clubs just folded their ladies teams a couple of days before the season started which literally meant that there were women who were unemployed within like the notice and space of two days rent housing car everything just taken away just like that and i think what we also need to just keep familiar with is this This is people who are doing this job simply because they don't have, they might not necessarily have the smartest people, they might not necessarily have a a talent, and by talent I mean a trade, so they're not builders or welders or anything like that, so they can't have this long career in terms of working, honing a craft, and then doing it to your 60 and retiring. A lot of footballers retire by 30, 35. I think the average lifespan of a professional athlete anywhere is two and a half years. And so in, in that case, it's get as much money as you possibly can because you might take an injury, you might get hit in the leg. The most hilarious incident of one individual was he was shaving and the sh- the cologne glass broke and cut his leg. And he sat on the bench for a couple of weeks and the person who took over was better than him. And that person is now like one of the greatest goalkeepers in Spanish history. And the other guy was just done. like Literally, like his entire career was done like that in terms of a footballer.
0: I appreciate that argument. It strikes a very similar tone as business executives that we have to pay market prices to get the best talent, therefore legitimising the million-dollar payouts to bank executives for companies that haven't turned a profit for 10 years. Mm. Or I feel like even venture capitalists or people that trade shares would have a similar approach, being like, well, I'm not going to be lucky forever. So i got to make my money now and cash it out, plus I'm taking a massive risk financially. I feel like there's more than a little bit of shadowing going on there in terms of the specific talent of the football players and those in those positions of power. I guess an interesting counterpoint to that would be that what power do football players wield institutionally to affect change?
2: The system is in place firmly, right? A lot of people are, one, profiting from it and a lot of people who aren't profiting from it just aren't in a position to get up there and decide let's turn shit over and i feel we need to just be realistic in how these things work and how the rules and regulation of the game work there's a reason why neymar cost 200 million pounds right? and he cost 200 million pounds because people are going to turn up and watch him play people are going to click on and have all those reads people are going to want to buy his jerseys when cristiano ronaldo left manchester united and went to real madrid in 20 no it would have been yeah 2010 i think Within a month, Adidas made up £80 million in, in shirt sales just for having his name on the back of it. It's, look, it's disgusting that you know people who save other people's lives in terms of doctors aren't making as much money as Premier League footballers. But if you're exceptionally good at your job and exceptionally when well, it's a talent and it's a rare commodity and people can gamble on it and people can wage on it and people can put their names and shirts on it, chances are it's going to make you a bucket load of money and it's it's sad because these players aren't going to be like you said these players aren't going to be the people who command change and and start to do anything you look at colin kaepernick right now in america he's used this platform to sit there and talk about unrepresentative killings of black and minority people and police brutality and he doesn't have a job right now (laughs) and he literally does not have a job right now so it's 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 interesting to see how many footballers get into that position of power and actually use it to make change. At the same time, despite their tax evasion, they a lot of them actually put a lot back into communities or they put more back into communities than they need to. So it's it's a really weird one where I feel the onus doesn't necessarily lie on the footballers. I feel the onus lies on the football clubs as institutions. I feel the footballers should do more in speaking out about it. And if you want to read about one, his name is Juan Mata. He's basically challenging the entire Premier League players to put 1% of their wage down to charity. Just 1% of their wage. And he and he's getting like all the love from everybody, but we know for a fact that it's just not going to happen.
0: That's a difficult one. What I'm thinking is that football is entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's the core purpose of it. And I think the argument you identified that they're not doctors or nurses or teachers, these people that get paid little but represent an importance and power institutionally within our societies that we would like to increase the amount they get paid on, reminds me a lot about the movie industry, about the television industry, mm-hmm. about another aspect of entertainment whereby stars get paid hundreds of millions of dollars and people immediately proclaim, why should a singer, why should Taylor Swift or why should Ben Affleck or why should... Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, Kit Harrington. Why should they be paid so much when doctors are paid so little? I feel like that is an equally comparable argument to, to football players. But I don't think those two are often compared you know, people I think dismiss the type of like gossip chat in terms of celebrity analysis that's actually quite interesting yeah. on the web. It is dismissed a lot more than like football, which is a serious conversation. But I think a you could compare those two and kind of come to a a place where the stars themselves aren't specifically responsible for redistribution although a lot of them do do that but they're part of a wider institution that is even bigger than they are so while even Neymar getting paid 500,000 pounds a week I don't I don't know how much money Nike makes in a week or Adidas makes in a week it's
2: it's astonishing like if we if we're just take a a step back and have this all encompassing holistic approach and view at these we'd sit there and think NASCAR drivers in America get paid hundreds of millions of pounds to literally turn left and drive right we have people who are baseballers who get paid more than Neymar who are on 200 million dollar contracts not 200 million transfer fees 200 million dollar contracts for throwing a ball right if we were to take a step back and look at it we're like this is all insane but People are paying to watch this person throw a ball as quickly as possible because it's a talent. People are paying to watch Kit Harrington act as if he's been touched by a dragon because it's a talent. Like people are, are wanting to listen to Taylor Swift because she can actually sing, whether I like it or not. Like, my dad said to me all the time: "He's like, if you are talented, people will pay to see you do your talent." It's it's a really sad part because there's like a lot of exploitation going on. I think if we are going to diminish the value of these people, if we want to curtail how much they're earning, we need to take a step back from the value that we place on them. If we value Schilling, or if we want to diminish how important it is for Asensio to strike a left foot volley into the top corner against Barcelona, as soon as it stops mattering to us, as soon as we stop watching the games, as soon as we start retweeting and liking, their value and wage goes down. And it's just it's just really interesting that the flip side is we do value doctors like we do value doctors, but their wage and stuff just isn't going up. So maybe we don't value doctors as much as we should.
0: Let me think about what I want to say next, because in bringing up the comparison with the entertainment industry, there's some economic phrase that I think would be adequate here in terms of the monetization of fandom Mm. that happens. I don't want to take away the agency of fans to go and spend lots of money on football shirts and ticket prices if that is what they want to do. But a point of clear difference between football as entertainment and the rest of the entertainment industry is that while some shows like Game of Thrones with Kit Harington do inspire a great deal of fealty and commitment from their fans. But I guess there's a long way around to say that for football teams, demand is inelastic. It's there. People aren't going to stop supporting their team generally. I mean, I know that there's been a very small movement in Manchester relative to the size of the major clubs where have started their own manchester united yeah. because the glazers bought manchester united on all of borrowed money and are extracting value from it like venture capitalists i'm i'm aware of that but my position would be that's not a whole scale move away and i don't think there really would ever be a whole scale move away of fans from a football club here in glasgow we've got rangers football club which went under and has been in the news and in the courts constantly for the last like 10 years or something and people still turn up to watch the Rangers games, even although they are not the same club as they were once before. And I think this is where we arrive back at what we were talking about before, in terms of football's working class heritage, in a way that the monetization effect is potentially more problematic than it is for television and film, because if you don't like a film, you won't go, or you'll just not go to pay and see it again, you definitely won't rent it. If you like a television show, the commitment and the cost is low enough that you can switch around which changes the nature of the industry in a way that football clubs, Arsenal can charge 100, 150, 200, 250, 300, 350, 400 pounds ticket. I don't know what it's at the moment because A, they have this buy-in from a traditionally working-class community, although I don't know how many working-class people can afford to go to an Arsenal game now, but also B, that working-classness of football has been monetized to the point that corporate sponsors probably make up a majority of arsenal crowd every single week and i'm sure that's the same of every football club across the country although the bigger ones probably have businesses represented there in terms of corporate suites that are far more international and far less community
2: based. oh no you 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 are so spot on there and i think that's that's the other big dilemma there for premier league football not necessarily a dilemma for premier league football but definitely a dilemma for for working-class fans and fans of football clubs in general. The money in the Premier League has only happened since 1992. Before that, Liverpool Football Club famously decided not to go into the stock market because they were like, no, we want to make sure we're more fan-based. Barcelona is is owned by the fans and supporters to a certain extent. What is completely different, and this is where I think the Premier League and sponsorship take a, a, a huge advantage of, is... It's in the culture, like it's firmly embedded in the culture, whether it's in Manchester, whether it's in Ipswich, whether it's in Oldham football clubs. Almost every town has a football club. And that's where people as a community would go, would turn up. That would be them watching people they traditionally knew, friends or family members, people who they grew up with they'd turn up and watch them play. Local businesses would then support, would sponsor those teams, and then you would take those teams out there, and it'd, be, it'd literally be a source of pride for your community. And so in terms of NC United, in, in a hilarious way, I'm glad you mentioned that, they started the club because they didn't like the way that Manchester United were going. They've now won, and they're progressing up through the leagues, but they're finding it difficult to go any higher because they need more money. And so there was a schism a couple years ago where people are like, holy crap, no, we're becoming Manchester United because for us to progress, we need more money. For us to get more money, we need more sponsors. For us to get better players, we need more money to get the better players. And it, it caused a great, like they call a massive division where people literally like left that club that they had just formally created. So I say that to say like whenever you see a game of Manchester United or Arsenal or Liverpool or Everton or Stoke or any of the big 20 players go, It's happening in Edinburgh, it's happening in Inverness, it's happening in frickin' Perth, Australia, where local people are coming down to watch their local team play. And to a certain extent, they're gonna want them to be successful and want them to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and better. And when that happens, that's when more money comes in, more advertising comes in, more revenue for the players come through and people wanna actually watch their teams do great. So that is the big dilemma and you're 100% right. It is not going to be, you just can't turn a switch on culture, imagine if all the pubs all of a sudden had sponsors here in the UK, and you're like, "Oh, look, I'm not going to go to my local pub that I've been going for for the last 30 years because they are now sponsored by Barclays." Like, it, it's a, it's literally like I don't think people understand how football yeah. clubs in the UK are deeply embedded in culture, in generation, in in a whole lot more than just simply living and dudes kicking football around.
0: For you, does that trouble your fandom for Liverpool? Does it do those things exist on separate planes? <laughs> yeah, yes, and no.
2: Like, the closest thing to a local football club that I would have is Ellerslie AFC in, in Auckland City. Born in Nigeria, lived in four different suburbs in Auckland, played for my local high school team, um, played for Ellerslie Football Club, support Liverpool because of the war on TV. If Liverpool were not on TV, what business would a 11-year-old Nigerian kid in New Zealand have watching the Premier League? Yeah. Right? So one, it's easy. It's, It's a language I can understand. It's a culture that's closely similar to the culture that I was growing up in. And it's at a time of day where everyone else is trying to get involved and I can get involved easily with the, with the chants and the fans. So I didn't have to learn Spanish. I didn't have to learn French. I didn't have to learn Italian. I could speak the exact same language, add a couple swear words, and boom, there I was. Now, if LSD AFC suddenly become Central FC in, in New Zealand and the money is coming into it, I'd love it because LSD AFC would be on the map. But at the same time, eventually it would reach a point where I couldn't afford to go to the games it reached a point where I couldn't directly have a conversation with the club president. It'd reach a point where I wouldn't know the, the, the players who were playing there. The players wouldn't be the same people who I grew up with or knew. I wouldn't know the coach. And that's where the familiarity completely takes a step back and you don't realize who's going on or what's going on in the club. And I think that's what like <laughs> Premier League footballers and football clubs in general would have to sit there and think about. And a lot of them you'll find sit there and they completely reject modern football. And they gladly go and watch their local team or their local Sunday league team play where they know the players, they know the coaches, they know the fans. It's a small, tight based community rather than have Cristiano Ronaldo walk in tomorrow, score all the goals for you, give you 20 million, and then bounce.
0: I mean, the way you describe it is is fascinating, and it makes it sound like it's almost a completely different sport because the, the opportunity afforded to you as a Nigerian-born New Zealander living on the opposite side of the world, but had the chance to buy into and be part of a wider community in terms of Liverpool Football Club. Although I do completely misunderstand how you say that just because you don't speak Spanish, that meant you couldn't support a Spanish team, when I feel like the Liverpudlian accent must be as far away from a central, a central North <laughs> Island accent as you could humanly get within the English language spectrum. So we'll just have to examine that a bit further, maybe offline. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's almost like your your ability to invest in Liverpool Football Club while it uh, introduced you to a wider community of other people who are investing in that football club, but actually you share far more in common with the people who are also investing in the football club than the people that support the football club as a whole have with the actual football club itself that seems to me as a very sharp division yeah man like
2: the Liverpool Football Club have no idea who I am (laughs) they have they have no idea who I am they don't know if I pay my registration they'd only care if I started to subscribe to them and get the like Liverpool FC TV data then they care who I am, and even the, like Netflix don't know who I am, right? <laughs> they have all the data about me and information around me, but they don't know who I am. And to a certain extent, we need to divorce that from the football club. So when we say we, as in like, yeah, Liverpool, we won. They don't know who you are. They don't know. They don't care about you. I could say we, we won about Ellerslie, and the Park family would would be like, yeah, Kalichi, we did win. I've been at the club, I've grown up in the club, i played for the club, I am now supporting the club from afar, I know friends and family are part of the club right now, like, if we dig deep into this, there are young kids who can't play for the local football club, Liverpool football club, because they need to be professional, so they're scouting six-year-olds and saying you've got a bright future in football, let's sign you up to this contract and have you come and play for us. So like the, the the damage that these clubs are actually doing to the local community that isn't simply paying them the an actual wage is also preventing kids from actually playing for their local club. They're charging kids forty five pounds to wear their jersey. Alice Lee wouldn't charge me forty five pounds to wear their Alice Lee jersey. They'd probably ship me one over if I wanted one and'd be great to have me like walking around Manchester with an Alice Lee football Club jersey so it's it's a really weird dynamic where. At one time, like I would sit there and say that I'm a bigger fan than people in Liverpool because I was waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch a bunch of strangers in red running around and kick a ball rather than people who were going out to the pub and just watching the same strangers run around and kick a ball. The difference here is it really is tied to culture and really is tied to heritage. Like There are people with tattoos. <laughs> there are people with tattoos. There are people who get married under the crest. There are people who... You know, you you say a bad word about the team and it's war. And these are people who have grown up with it as a a third or fourth or fifth or sixth member of their family. There are people whose mums and and dads or brothers and sisters died at charity events or died at sporting events while they go to see their clubs. So it it does mean a lot. And so I suppose in a roundabout way, taking it back to the start, I suppose some people should do the working class community around them, like the standard and decency of living on a minimum wage. Like... If you are the son or daughter of someone who died at Hillsborough, and you're working for Liverpool Football Club, and you literally cannot afford to pay like your rent, something's wrong.
0: Clutchy, thanks so much. I um, fandom in general, and especially your Liverpool fandom, it fascinates me, and we could talk about it for ages. And then yo, it's it's
2: the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> Just... It is the it is the dumbest narcotic
0: I've ever had. I do... It's. I, th- I was thinking about you as um, Liverpool managed to snatch almost defeat out of the jaws of certain <laughs> victory last weekend in their first round match. I was just happened to be listening to the song and um it's called, I bet on losing dogs by Mitski. And I, I tried to find you on Twitter, but you you weren't on Twitter, which may be better for you because I assume this is where your head was at. I'll just read you some of the lyrics here. I bet on losing dogs. I know they're losing and I pay for my place by the ring where I'll be looking in their eyes when they're down mm-hmm. I'll be there on their side. I'm losing by their (laughs) side.